Thank you again for listening to the Rise and Go podcast. Wanted to do a quick shout out here on where to find us on social media. On Instagram and X, we are at Elevant MPLS. That is E L E V A N T M P L S. And on Facebook at Elevant. We do a lot of cool posts on there with our Elevant athletes. We do some food posts, we do some lifestyle posts, and obviously we got the gym motivation coming at you each and every day. And as we continue to move here, we are going to have more guests coming, and we're super excited to hear others' journeys. And thank you again for supporting the Elevant brand. We love y'all. All right, everyone, welcome back to the Rise and Go podcast. I'm super excited to have Emily here with us. So I'm going to allow her to do a quick introduction. Good morning, everyone. My name is Emily Mader Krause. I'm the owner of BB.Q Korean Fried Chicken here in Minneapolis and St. Paul. Awesome. Well, I'm super excited to be here. I got here a little early and I was checking out the, the shop here. And I, I love this setup that you have in here. Everything is like it's bright, it's welcoming. Uh, so why don't you just do us a favor here and introduce BB.Q Chicken to our audience. Absolutely. So BB.Q is the number one Korean fast casual franchise out of South Korea. Um, there's 1,500 locations in that country. It's no different than um, McDonald's to some degree in South Korea. There's a chicken university where they do all the R&D, where all the recipes come from. It's that globally recognized there. In the United States, there's about 180 locations now, and I decided to open um, a couple different spots here about 18 months ago in Minneapolis Twin Cities because this is ground roots for me. Yeah, unbelievable. And where are the locations here in the Twin Cities? So I've got one location here um, off of Lake Street in Minneapolis, and then I have a location over off of Grand Avenue in St. Paul. There also is a pop-up shop in Maplewood that's opened um, by some other franchisee, but it's my understanding that they just do grab-and-go, and they're kind of a temporary spot for that facility. So, okay. yeah. Nice. You know, we were chatting earlier about, you know, we've grown up in this area and this used to be like a Brugger's Bagels. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's so interesting, like after the pandemic, you know, it's, you know, Uptown's kind of like not been a very popular place. Share with us, you know, what it's been like to open a location here and the experiences you've had. Yeah, and full transparency, Uptown was not the initial spaces that I was looking for when this opportunity presented itself. Um, partially just because of how much this community has gone through from a safety perspective, George Floyd, um, changing businesses. But this specific real estate space um, was owned by somebody else that I knew. And I had just kind of an affinity towards the part of Uptown that it's in. It's close to what Lake Calhoun is. Um, it's in kind of an iconic corner where London Byerly's and Wells Fargo has anchored this community for a while. Um, and it's ended up just being a really great flagship spot for me. So this was not where I thought I was yeah. going to be, but it's been a very humbling thing to know that I am adding to the Uptown community. Um, I've had a lot of really great response from even like the city mayor, from um, the local police officers saying it's nice to have a new business come in that is doing well and um, is, is a reason for people to come back into this area. I couldn't agree more. And, you know, I was, it was, Uptown used to be like so vibrant. You know, I'd come down here on the weekends, you go to the bar scene, it was unbelievable. And, you know, when I was driving past here, I almost missed it because I'm, I'm, there's, you know, a lot of like locations around here with businesses. And, you know, when I finally spotted, I was like, oh, that's the perfect location for this to be. Um, now, you know, with 
bb.q can you share with us like the menu and you know what the restaurant's all absolutely. about absolutely so bb.q actually stands for best of best quality okay so that's what the acronym um derives from and we have 13 different varieties of fried chicken that's double battered with korean influenced flavors and sauces so we consider that we have something hopefully for everyone in terms of spice level sweetness and what they're looking for we also have some non-chicken items that are more Korean food-based, um, something called dakboki, which is a very common street food. It's like pasta, but it's made out of rice cake. Sure. We've got a kimchi fried rice. We've got rice bowls. Um, we have something called burgogi, which is a very classic ribeye steak. So we've got a menu that is heavily based in fried chicken, but we've got other menu items that hopefully will meet everyone's dietary needs. Um, at my store specifically, I've chose to have halal products and zero pork on the menu. Um, we have a large Muslim population that comes into my stores and I want to be as inclusive as possible to my guests, have another option for them to feel like they have an, a, a business that, that cares at a different level. Sure. So it's hard to find Asian food that, that is halal and doesn't have pork, but I've made a very conscientious effort to truly try to have... Um, my menu be as inclusive as I possibly can. That's amazing. You know, I think back to when I was playing baseball, I, I was down in like Houston, Texas area, Victoria, Texas. And one of the host families there was actually a franchise owner of Chick-fil-A. Oh, sure. And they were incredible working with the community, getting kids involved in, in like baseball. And they were just really great people. You know, I still follow the Murphys. If you ever listen to this, you guys are doing great work with what Chick-fil-A does. But, you know, again, you know, being able to, you know, they, they allowed us into the restaurant. They, you know, they put us behind the register. I don't think they wanted us cooking any food. But, you know, to see the response of, like, how, uh, you know, a franchise like, uh, you know, Chick-fil-A or a BB.Q can have an impact on that community, mm -hmm. you know, that, that's got to, like, have really good, uh, you know, that's got to be a good feeling for you to, yeah. like, have an impact on this community. So some of the reason I decided to be a franchise owner um, is because I wanted to give back and give opportunities. I have always had a very strong affiliation with the Latino population. Actually, I don't know if you know this. We, we, we've known each other since middle school. But originally when I went to college, I was going for elementary education with a minor in Spanish. Okay. Because I wanted to teach ESL. Life pivoted and I ended up being in human resources and got a degree in business, but I have always wanted to support um, as many different populations as I can. And one of the things that I really wanted to do is foster work environments that were safe and where people felt like they could belong, be themselves and give non-English speakers an opportunity to work and to provide for their families. So um that is truly one of the driving things that made me decide to be an entrepreneur and to do a franchise and to get in, to stay in restaurants was because I wanted to give back and I wanted to have work environment where people knew that they could come every day, be themselves. Some of my employees have little, they had their little kids run through yeah. here and they become like my extended family. So that is one of the th reasons why I decided to, to do this particular franchise was because restaurants and food are such a connector. Yeah. And, you know, I think this is a good transition into like your background. Kind of take sure. us through, you know, you know, like you said, you've known, we've known each other since middle school. But yeah, just give us like a background and like the journey to where you are. today. Yeah. So um, I went to college in Wisconsin, Eau Claire for elementary education yep. and Spanish. And then um, my mom ended up getting really aggressive breast cancer. So I dropped out. And this is where life makes you step back slow down and stop being on this trajectory that you think you're supposed mm -hmm. to be doing. 
So I took a year off from college while everybody else is grinding and doing their thing. And part of me felt really behind. And the other part of me thinks it was the best year for me to really decide what I wanted to do instead of what I think that everybody expected me to do. So I went to community college at MCTC for two years just to like get my credits in and like really decide for myself what I thought was going to be the right fit professionally. Um, ended up focusing in business at MCTC and then transferring to Metropolitan State University. Got my bachelor's in human resources there. Um, my first job out of college was at a um, company called Delhi Express over okay. in Eden Prairie. Yeah. They assemble gas station sandwiches. And that gave me a really great baseline for human resources functions. And then ended up going to graduate school um, for human resources and also industrial psychology. Got my MBA. And while I was in my master's program, one of my cohort members was like, oh, you'd be great at my company. They ended up paying for the rest of my grad school, which was a blessing. And I worked for a tenant company then for two and a half years. They make industrial sweepers and cleaners. Um, that gave me a, an opportunity to understand global uh, human resources, which was um, a stretch for me. But I, I missed being more like day-to-day -day instead of the big corporate. Sure. And then um, ended up working for um, a company called Rise Baking Company. They're, they make uh, new French bakery bread. They have a location over in River Falls where they make cookies. Um, and then this is like where it comes full circle. I yep. ended up getting recruited out from that job to work for Blue Plate Restaurant Company. Um, they have... I think about nine, maybe 11 restaurant concepts here in the Twin Cities. The Dyna Grill, Three Squares, um, the Free House, the Lowry. Those are yep. some of the names yep. that a lot of people know about Blue Plate. Um, the Blue Barn at the Minnesota State Fair yeah. is owned by um, Stephanie Shimp and David Burley. So I was their HR director for a small step at a time. And that got me back in the restaurant scene, even though I was in an HR role. Yeah. It allowed me to realize, man, I kind of miss the restaurant industry. So... Um, yeah, I ended up then feeling like I had this dichotomy of like, I was watching all the operations and general managers and kitchen managers of the restaurants, and I missed it. Sure. And yet I had made these decisions personally and professionally to be in HR, but I don't think that's what the right fit was for me. So um, I was sitting at this company called the Tea Garden um, over off of Grand Avenue and had like a... 30-year-old midlife crisis where I had done all these check marks off the list, thought I knew what I was doing, was making pretty good money, all the schmirker to schmirker things, but felt really unfulfilled and just didn't know what I wanted to do, but know what I didn't want to do anymore. Sure. Um, it happened that the owner of the tea garden happened to be sitting at that same location. Um, and we just sparked up a conversation super naturally and organically. And we just stayed in contact really high level. And at some point we decided like, maybe I should come work for him. And I um, put some capital into the business and they switched the company from the tea garden to Sencha. And then I spent six years working for um, that bubble tea company. So, um, and then the pandemic hit. Sure. And just like so many other companies, people, businesses, Sencha Tea Bar was not immune to the challenges that, that were faced with that global pandemic. So ended up, um, leaving Sencha just because monetarily they were struggling. Um, but also I was at kind of the six year crossroads where I felt like I had done my due diligence. I had given good faith effort into the company, spent a lot of time and energy. And how this all connects to BB.Q is intermixed in all of that life stuff. 10 years back, I'm an adopted Korean. 
I went to Korea and met my biological mom. Wow. And my first meal with my birth mother was BB.Q. No way. Yes. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So I went to Korea 10 years ago. I don't speak any Hangul, which is the Korean language. She didn't speak any English, but she asked me what my favorite food was. And I said, it's fried chicken. And she ordered BB.Q as our first reunion meal. That is and so I was like, crazy. This food is so good. Um, but 10 years ago, this company wasn't quite yet in America. Or if it was, it certainly wasn't as big as it is now. So I didn't really think anything of it. Um, but actually, when I was working for Sencha, this is why it all comes full circle, I was doing research on like bubble tea things out in California. Because the coasts are always way ahead of the, the Midwest. Oh, yeah. New York, yeah. California, they're always ahead of the game when it comes to trends and what's cool. So I was in California with a friend drinking bubble tea. And I was like, oh, my God, this BB.Q company. I was like, I think this is the company I had with my birth mom. Went in, lo and behold, it was. I had the food. It was so good again. I actually got it before I got on the airplane to come back home. Like, got takeout before I got on the plane because I knew I was going to crave it. And then it made me realize, like, oh, this company is here. And that's always kind of been in the back of my head. And so after Sencha, I knew I didn't want to go back to corporate America. And I had now saw the BB.Q brand in the United States and so knew there must be some level of a franchise or a global opportunity and started to do research. And BB.Q, besides Crumble Cookie, was the only organization that grew during the pandemic. Yeah. Year over year, they grew. And not just like a little bit, like 50% the company grew because this brand does well as takeout. Yeah. Um, so I decided to take some of the investment from um, Sencha and started working with a real estate agent to find opportunities to, to build a commercial restaurant. And this Lake Street spot was what presented itself. And that was my first store that opened back in November of, of 2022. That's so awesome. I'm jacked so. up here in this story. I'm not <laughs> kidding. Like you were very much alike in that we're both adopted. And, you know, I lost my mother to ALS, you know, when I was 21 years old. And, you know, those types of things have a huge impact on what you're doing. And I love how your story, like, literally did come full circle. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I, I think that's just a beautiful story that you have. And I think, you know, to, to have that motivation behind it, you know, it, it's easy to keep moving forward, especially when, you know, you face challenges along yeah. the way. You know, I'd love to hear a little bit more along what those challenges have looked like, you know, you said, you know, COVID probably had an impact in your know, decision-making of where you're going to go. But as like a franchise owner, you yeah. know, what are the, some of the challenges you face? So this is not trying to be negative of the franchise. It's, it's more of a cultural awareness thing. And this is where I love that every single day that I get to experience different um, interchanges. So because this is a Korean based franchise, a lot of the corporate individuals that I speak with are in Korea or are from Korea. So the way that they communicate is very different than we do here at Minnesota Nice. Sure. Yeah. Um, and just how, this is the low-hanging fruit example I have. I wanted to serve ranch dressing here as a side dipping sauce option. And they didn't get it at all. They were like, why do you need ranch? <laughs> and I was like, it is literally some people's fourth utensil. Yeah. I, it, it is such an important condiment for people here in Minnesota. <laughs> but I had to pull data and analytics from other companies to prove to the franchise 
why ranch dressing, like a 50 cent item, should be on my menu. Sure. But it, it's that kind of education where the franchise may push back because ranch dressing isn't a thing in Korea. Right. Um, but I have to help them help me understand. Um, and that's just part of the of being um, with a global franchise because they just see things differently or what is common in Korea is maybe not as popular here. Um, the other challenges I would say are just the, the fact that they're not, um, they're not here. So if I struggle with something from a point of sale system challenge, if I have a distribution challenge with a vendor, they're not here. And so I really do have to use as much common knowledge as I have, the resources, think outside the box for myself, even though they're a text message away, yeah. there's not actually a lot of actions they can take to help me find a solution. They can provide guidance, they can send me a link to wherever, mm -hmm. but I'm the ultimate one as a local business owner who's gotta figure stuff out. But that's what I do like about this job is that um, I'm able to challenge myself, but it is frustrating at times. Um, I knew walking into this that the franchise takes a lot of money, but yeah. they really do. And that's one thing that I, I, I don't I don't have any regrets, but I have been um, surprised at how much I have to give back to the franchise. And that's okay. Because yeah. I, I would not have been able to start this company on my own. I maybe have an entrepreneurial spirit, yeah. but I don't have enough, um, I guess, creative juices to come up with my own menu to right. the point where I think I could brand it, be distinctive, because BB.Q has such a loyal brand following. It's in K-dramas and sponsored by Korean athletes. Um, it's on social media from a bigger perspective. So I basically am paying for the brand recognition and the proof of concept, um, but I pay a lot. Um, so everything from, if I wanna go buy chopsticks, I can't, I have to buy the branded ones sure. from BB.Q. Yeah. So it's the give and take. They do take quite a bit, but I also have to understand the bigger return on investment. Yeah. But on a day-to-day -day basis, sometimes I get a little bit um, perturbed when I look at the end of the month, like I'm you know, busting my butt, trying to save labor, cut costs on food, the things I can control. And then they're just sitting over there taking a bunch yeah. of money yeah. is what I feel like, but I get it. I, I joined a franchise, so. Yeah, and you know, there's there's always challenges along the way, especially being an entrepreneur that you may not experience in like corporate America because it all kind of falls mm -hmm. on you. You don't really necessarily have the assistance of like an HR leader or like a department leader. You know, you got to figure those things mm -hmm. out for yourself. And you know, kudos to you for you know having the motivation behind it to do it every single day. I think that's what is so important. I was talking to Damien, uh, who's the head coach uh, at Benilde St. Margaret, about. The importance of consistency you know life has its ups and downs its peaks and valleys but if you can stay consistent within that line you'll never you know experience the lowest of lows or you know be enthralled by the highest of highs which i think is so important so take us through what a day in the life here at bb.q looks like sure for you. so i have um 20 staff members at each of my stores give or take um a very large um, ecuadorian and mexican population they are the heart and the, the truly like engine that makes this whole thing operate. Um, so the staff comes in as early as 7 a.m. and they start prepping fresh chicken. So we have no frozen products at all whatsoever. Um, and they start 
literally butchering chicken. Really? Um, yeah. It's like so, that fresh. Yeah. Wow, so this is like one awesome. of the things that I was super impressed with with the company. And again, why I decided like that I could put my personal professional name behind this brand. It really is best of best quality. And when I um, started doing more research, not only seeing the impressive growth, but also just how they do things, I felt good about knowing that every single day I was going to be putting out that high level of a product, even though it is fried chicken, it's done really well. So they come in at 7 a.m., start butchering and prepping chicken, um, and then they um, put it in a brine, and it's actually like hand tenderized and tumbled. It's a 12-hour prep process before it ever hits the line where it then would be fried to order. So I've got prep stuff that comes in at 7, then the other crew starts coming in at 10. Uh, my lazy butt doesn't come in until like 10, 30, 10, 45, because primarily I do front of the house functions. So if all came push to shove, could I cook someone's order? Yes. Does anybody really want me in the kitchen? I mean, I can do it. Yeah. But my cooks have way more skills and talent than I do in that area. Um, but I primarily am more the face of the restaurant. Sure. So guest interactions, answering questions, guiding people throughout the process if it's their first time coming in, you know, helping customers pick through those 13 different flavors. Um, for some people, they haven't had Korean food in general. So just you know, what is kimchi? What does yeah. this taste like? What are the health benefits? Um, and then just like any kind of restaurant manager, ensuring that those guests feel like that they are um, getting their, their value because they chose to come in. Yeah. There are so many different restaurants, good restaurants here in the Twin Cities that I don't think my grass is any greener. I'm just a different shade of green for people. Yeah. And so I have a responsibility to ensure that if my shade of green for the day is what someone wants to spend their money on, that they come back for different reasons. The food's got to be good. The service has got to be good. People have to feel like it's a, a clean environment, yeah. that it's you know taken professionally and seriously. Um, and so I just try to uphold and foster those elements that for me as a customer, when I go out to eat, that's what I'm looking for. Just trying to kind of not pay it forward, but think of it as a bigger picture of a, a consumer. Um, at day to day, you know, there's there's always things, right? The computer crashed yesterday. The DoorDash didn't get picked up. Um, so those are things that just are kind of flying saucers that um, you just kind of on the fly are yeah. finding solutions for. And at the end of the day, my customers and my employees are the two biggest priorities for me. So if I have to throw something away because it wasn't hitting quality, I'll do it. If I have to re refund someone, even if I feel like, they're just looking for free food. Yeah, I'll do it because I have my customers' best interests. So there are, you know, things that I do that maybe are different from other restaurant owners or different managers because I care on a very personal level. Um, my employees, um, again, are the most integral part of what I do every day and really are the ones that drive and motivate me because they're they're taking their time away from their families or other companies mm -hmm. to work here. And so I have to earn trust and gain respect from them 40 hours a week because sure. they're spending their time here. Um, but for my customers too, there's there's very few times where I, do, I don't try to be in my customer's corner yeah. because I want them back. And even if they choose to go someplace else, which is their prerogative, hopefully they walked away saying like, at least that manager heard me. Yeah. At least that owner gave a crap. Yeah. Like, you know, I complained and I didn't like it, <laughs> but at least she handled it with tact. Sure. in some level of, of 
professionalism. You know, one of the first things that I noticed when I walked in, I was like, holy shit, this place is really clean. <laughs> and, you know, it, it's got a very vibrant, like, uh, like feel when you walk in, too, where it's, it's comforting. And, you know, I, I think that's one of the most important things is that that first impression that the customer is mm-hmm. going to have when they walk in. You know, you know, the, the experience of eating the food is one thing. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you want the food to be good. But having that good first impression, we're like, oh, I walked in here and I feel good about, you know, what I see. Again, I think that's a key oh, component to, you know, wanting to come back and, you know, do it again. Yeah. Now, I've, I've, I got to be honest, I've never had BB.Q. Oh, you will before you leave. Oh, here. believe me, I'm, I'm, my mouth yeah. is watering when I'm looking at everything <laughs> here. But, um, you know, I think this is a good transition to, you know, what are some of like your goals and aspirations as you continue to move forward here? So my, my goals for BB.Q are really um, – as much as I can to grow the brand, but do it Emily's way with the franchise's support. So again, the franchise and I have different perspectives on how they would like things done, and I do follow their best practices, but I do it at a local level with my style behind everything because at the end of the day, it falls back on me. It, It really does, every single decision. So. Um, I'm glad that I joined a franchise so that they could have all the tools and resources for me. But ultimately when I build that, that, you know, experience, it's coming from, from me. So I have a contract to do another store. So when I originally decided to join this company, because there is a company called Bonchon, which is another Mm -hmm. Korean fried chicken place, they have like six or seven locations because I was the first of BB.Q for Minnesota. They really wanted me to kind of competitively get not in the same realm, but at least um, have a chance to be a household name like Bonchon has become for the mm-hmm. Twin Cities. So three stores in three years was my initial contract. And so I do have the chance to open another one. In a perfect world, I would love now to be in a suburb. So in Eden Prairie would be great. Minnetonka, go back to Arlington yeah, and yeah, Hopkins. There you go. Um, that's where I would like to go next. I'm from the south suburbs in Apple Valley, um, and I've had the chance to look at a couple spots in like Egan, for example, but I really think that to, to have a different target audience going more um, towards like the Eden Prairie, Hopkins, even Burnsville area would be where I would like to go next. And, and so. why are, are those areas like the ones you have in mind particularly? Because there's nothing else out there like this right now. So there's a lot of Asian food places, but there aren't any Korean fried chicken places. There's a couple Korean restaurants, especially in EP, there's a place or two. Um, but there's just a gap in the food market. Um, I just have also had customers who have said adamantly, we drive from those suburbs that I mentioned to your store here. They, they oftentimes, this is the closest one for them. And they're like, you would just do well. Yeah. Um, and so that's that reaffirmation. But for me as well, I, that's those are the communities that we grew up in, and I see it. And there really isn't much for this type of cuisine. This um, there's lots of other quick service restaurants. Of course, there are Chick Fil A's and Popeyes and things like that. But there's not any Asian niche specific um, food. So I, I just feel like there's an opportunity to expand the brand that direction. No, I get it. So, and like when it comes to like marketing, advertising, mm-hmm. how does that work? For so you? I. So the franchise has all of the the bigger picture things. So the menus, anything like posters that are seen in the store, commercials, those are done from the franchise. And they're done for every single franchisee. We're not specific. Um, Then if I want something locally done 
for just my two stores or my one store, there is some level of design that they can do. They'll tailor something that says specifically exclusive to Uptown. Mm -hmm. um, but other than that, I am now working with a company called Tolovo. They are doing social media videos. They specifically are supporting minority owned businesses, which I think are fantastic. And they have really taken um, the champion role for my social media. It's an area that I am not good at yeah. at all. Yeah. Um, and they do these really creative, fun videos. They did one the other day where they took a bunch of chicken and put it on skewers and made it look like a bouquet. Yeah, I saw for that. Valentine's awesome. Day, super cute. They did one the other day where they had my kitchen staff dancing. Just very witty, these short clips that really kind of just show the personality of what's happening here, but also something that is outside the box. Yeah. So I have a partnership with them. Um, I do post some food pictures on Instagram from time to time, but there's not a ton of marketing that I'm doing because this brand does have such a bigger recognition. When I first opened, there were two hour wait times to come into the store because people were waiting for BB.Q to come yeah. to Minnesota. People drove from Wisconsin and <laughs> Iowa to come to this location because we were the first ones. So I'm very grateful and blessed that I don't have to do a lot of marketing and pushing the brand because it already has that foundational exposure. But the, the companies that I am working with have just taken my local visibility to amplify it, to reach another audience, to give that. A, it's not just the food. There's the people, too. Yeah. So for me in business, there's people, there's product, there's process, and that makes your profit. But, but for me, the, the people are a big part of it. And I, yeah. want, I want my customers, my guests to see the people who work here, including myself, and be very visible. Absolutely. You know, I feel that, too, with Elevant. You know, I do a lot of, like, our social media. I've looked into, like, you know, getting assistance with social media companies. I'm like, I'm kind of, like, hard-pressed to, like, you know, pay for that service. But at the same time, it would make my life a hell of a lot easier. Uh, and, you know, I, I watched a few of those videos. That I loved that. It was, was it chicken wings on there? Yeah. Okay. I, was, I, was, I wasn't quite sure, but... You know, I, I, I love what you're doing with that. And again, you know, I think as, you know, time goes on, the exposure that you're going to get will continue to drive customers mm -hmm. here. Um, you know, our motto with Elevant is rise and go, chase your dreams and never stop. Mm -hmm. And it's all about like what motivates you to get out of bed in the morning. And, you know, it's like face your challenges, right? Yeah. You know, anyone can get up on a nice, beautiful day and it's sunny. You're like, oh, I'm great. I'm in a great mood. But it's those days where, you know, maybe you didn't sleep well or you, you had a tough night last night and you, you just don't want to get out of bed and do everything that you need to do. What is like your motivating factors for, you know, what you do? Oh, man, that's a deep question. So <laughs> I have I have a little boy who is who's now four years old and I want him to see a mom that um, didn't just follow that tactical check off the list, who didn't just go through life. Um, doing like the kind of classic traditional things, but really followed what she knew was going to make her happy from a professional standpoint. It's not about the money, the accolades, the titles, because I was doing that for mm -hmm. 11 years. For 11 years, I followed this very cut and narrow, climb the corporate ladder, um, you know, add another like zero to a paycheck, and it didn't ever do anything for me. Well, I was, not to be rude, but I was good at those jobs, and I functionally was, was, growing, I intrinsically wasn't ever fulfilled. I just didn't ever feel like that those jobs were what I actually wanted to do. I just know that I could do that. Yeah. 
And so taking that occupational leap of opportunity to work for the Tea Garden and Sencha was the first step into entrepreneurship. And that gave me the taste of knowing that I, I can do it and that I like doing it. And more than anything, Mike, it's that I like being in operations. Yeah. I like being in the stores with people, seeing my customers, having the conversations, working side by side with my cooks or at the time with my baristas, feeling like I'm having an impact. Yes. Um, and so that is really what drives and motivates me is I need to lead by example. Um, and if I'm going to ask my staff to do anything, I better be able to also competently do it myself. Um, the, I, I think that at the end of the day, uh, that leadership comes driven from the example that you lead from being a boss is one thing. Being a manager is one thing, but being a true leader is where I'm trying to really um, make a difference within the restaurants that, that I own. Um, it's being an additional resource for, especially my staff here that are English as a second language. They just came to America. They don't know anyone. They don't know things about like getting car tabs, yeah. you know, that's not a thing, maybe in Ecuador. I don't think I know about how car tabs work either. <laughs> you know, it's things like that where they're coming here. And I had the good fortune of being adopted at a young age and then raised in America. Um, some people are, uh, whether it's escaping situations or coming to the United States as adults now, having to start all over. Mm -hmm. And just the intimidation factor of that with, um, every nuance of life and especially if they have families too having a job that you can come to every day where you know your boss cares and will be there for you and you know will help you google translate something help you get your driver's license those are the types of things that really drive and motivate me is really supporting others it's also the, the customers coming in telling you know even if the customer didn't have a good day hopefully i can make them a little bit better with with their chicken you know, food is um, a basic need, and yet it really is, for some people, a love language. Yeah. And it's a, a bond that people have. You know, when you celebrate something, you oftentimes go out to eat. If you're um, having a bad day, sometimes you just need some comfort food. Yeah. <laughs> and so I like to know that my food is hopefully a resource for people to just have a small win in their day. You know, I'm not a solution to everything, but I want to be a, a chance for people to feel like they can come into a restaurant without any judgment, without any pretenses, come in, have a good meal, and, and hopefully that will be a small light in whatever is going on in, in life because life is hard. Yeah, so, it sure is. So that's what motivates me. It's, it's, and then also to share my story. Being a Korean-American, um, I'm very proud of, about my heritage and background, and so it's the homage of being able to take a brand that's so well-known in Korea but not as well-known here in Minnesota be able to, to connect to the Korean community, feel a little bit of uh, my background in my occupational decision. Yeah. yeah, it's been really nice to meet other Koreans that I probably wouldn't have otherwise, whether they are adopted or first or second generation Koreans. But I've met a lot of really great people yeah. that are customers now and regulars. Yeah. So that's, yeah, it's, it's so the people. Awesome. It yeah. really is the people in whatever capacity that means, whether it's my customers, my, my employees, um, yeah, it's the people. And then for me, it's, it's again, my kiddo. It's about showing my son that, um, he can do exactly what he wants to do and it's okay. Sure. It is. It doesn't have to be what you think you're going to do or what you planned on doing, but what really like makes you happy because we're all going to work for 40 years, let's say we better like what we're yes. doing. Yes. Yes. Yeah. We're going to spend our time, energy, talent doing things. 
you gotta like it. Absolutely. And I, you know, I think about it too, like I, like with my recruiting that I do for the software company downtown, I really love being around people, working with people, like sharing with them, like, Hey, I'm, I'm like, when you change careers, that's a huge life change. Mm -hmm. And I, I hear it all the time with folks that are like, can't find a job. I'm applying here and there. I've got 10 interviews. And it's so hard to navigate that process where a lot of times people make a snap decision on what they're on. Like, Oh, I got an offer here. I got to take this job. I'm not mm -hmm. getting, I'm not having success anywhere else. And you know, like you said, I think it goes back to like what you said about leadership, being a servant leader in this area, I think is so important. Like you're not afraid to like jump on the line and help cook. You're not afraid to help, uh, you know, maybe an unruly customer that's coming mm -hmm. in and, you know, trying to satisfy their needs. So, you know, I, I, I love what you're doing when it comes to leadership and, you know, having those driving, motivating factors. Again, I think that's what, what it takes to really get out of bed, rise and go every single day. Now, I, I want to go back to the topic of, of adoption. You know, can mm -hmm. you share, like, what was your experience like growing up? You know, because we both shared like that, yeah. that commonality. So I was adopted at a very young age from South Korea. And my parents, I think just like yours, made the decision to adopt, which means there's a whole bunch of um, just psychological and emotional things mm -hmm. that come with being an adoptee. Um, but they were really great about exposing me to other Korean kids at a young age. I went to a camp called Korean Culture Camp in Minnehaha Academy that is still present day going. Uh, now my son goes to it. Oh, that's awesome. It's really cool. So they did that. Um, I had a couple other like Korean friends when I was little. So they really did a good job of making sure I didn't feel like I was the only one. Sure. Um, they were very transparent with me about being adopted and tried to share with me as much as they could about what they knew about my birth family. Um, but it was it was tough. You know, when you're in kindergarten and you get picked up from school and one of your friends says, why doesn't your mommy look like you? Yeah. That sucks. Yeah, it's hard. I don't have an answer. You know, later on in life when kids are a little older and they find out what adoption means, the question's like, oh, how much did you cost? Yeah. You know, that stings a little bit sure. because then you just feel material. And But um, no matter if you're adopted or not, you know, a lot of kids say things that they're just curious. But um, I think, you know, as an adoptee, it's my job to just be as educative as possible and not take defense or take it too personally, mm -hmm. but just just try to answer questions as much as I can. And sometimes the best answer is I don't know because yeah. I really don't know. Sure. But it was it was tougher. I went to um, Catherine Kern Elementary School, which doesn't exist anymore. It wasn't overly diverse. As we were in middle school, it got more diverse. And then when we were in high school, we had a lot of diversity at yep. Hopkins. But there wasn't a lot of other, I think Mari and I were like, and like Jeff Summers and I were like the only like Korean adoptees. There wasn't a ton of us. Um, but I had other Korean pockets of people who I had met from this camp that my parents had me go to at a very young age. Um, and I started looking for my birth family when I was a freshman in college. And then when my mom got sick, that kind of went on the back burner. And then it wasn't until in my mid twenties that I thought about having a family of my own and for health reasons, I wanted to see what I could find. So long story short, I looked for my family from Children's Home Society, which is the agency I was adopted through. And they were able to identify a case number, which gives you the opportunity to at least proceed. There's no case number. There's really nothing. Yeah. And this is a long way to think. We do like a whole pod kind of head on this. But long story short, we have, I, I had to do 23andMe in order to make an actual family connection because the agency wasn't getting very far. And 
my sister was the one who was on 23andMe, we decided to take a chance and uh, do a DNA test, um, and it came back as a, a match. However, what in between all of, all of that, like really positive, that was the end result. I had been told that my birth mother um, was lied to that I had died at childbirth. Wow. So I was stolen, basically, is what we we have now found out. My birth mother doesn't even really know what happened, um, but some doctor, nurse, and social worker was doing some level of like a baby ring, and I was part of that. And so my birth mother was told that I had died at childbirth. Wow. When really I was adopted. So that's like a very sh like a short version, a spark note version of my adoption reunion. Um, but I think the best way that I can say things, because I'm very blessed that I was able to find my birth family. I have a daily connection now with my birth family. I talk to my birth mother every day through uh, a, a cacao message. Sure. My sister and I email every once in a while. Um, they're all in Korea still. I am very grateful that I had the chance to have the reunion, but it did not change me. Yeah. So what it did is it solidified that my life and my family is here in Minnesota, that the the mom and dad and the older brother that I have who are my family here, they are the ones who anchored me. They know every scar and every wound. But it is nice to have that additional layer of a connection in Korea. I feel very blessed and fortunate that I have a relationship with my birth family. I'm glad that they have the peace of mind that I'm doing well here yeah. in Minnesota. And I feel very fortunate all around. That's how I feel about my adoption. So growing up, it was hard. Yeah. Growing up, I had a lot of questions, a ton of insecurities, um, just a lot of feelings of abandonment and not being good enough. All the, the things that come with foundationally being adopted. You just, you just don't feel worthy. You yeah. feel rejected, abandoned. Um, but now as an adult, it's really that I feel very fortunate. I was, uh, even though my birth mother didn't mean to put me up for adoption because she was told that I had died, my mom and dad here couldn't have kids. They wanted me. Yeah. And so, and now that I have a chance to now be reunited with my birth family, they also want me too. Yeah. So all of these insecurities and feelings of not being good enough or, you know, not being chosen just dissipate because really I get the best of both worlds. I have two families that both really always wanted me. It just was the circumstance that led life to me being adopted. But my birth mother never meant to put me up for adoption. You know, it's it's all, we, we chatted about this earlier, it, it comes full circle. Mm -hmm. And when I think about my own story, you know, my, my birth parents were heavily involved in like drugs and alcohol. And so I was taken away from them by like the state of Minnesota and put into foster care. And, you know, the experience of growing up you know, imposter syndrome was the main thing that I felt like I don't belong here. Mm -hmm. And thank God for me, like sports has always been a huge part of my life so that, you know, being in team activities, I always felt like I could belong and being able to you know, be a very good baseball player. You know, it, it allowed me to have that feeling for a very long time. And, you know, my, my birth mom was shot and killed in the drive by when I was in sixth grade. And this happened very shortly after like my adoptive dad had recently passed away. So, you know, having, you know, like, you know, huge impact of death in the family and mm -hmm. then like not feeling like, oh, like I never got any closure with my birth mom. My birth dad was never in the picture. And, you know, one of the hardest things that I ever faced was this was probably eight to 10 years ago. Uh, my, I have a biological sister that wasn't adopted with me and she got in contact with our biological father and he reached out to me and 
it was Father's Day, and he had mentioned, hey, I'm, I'm getting on a bus. I'm coming up to Minneapolis. I'd love to meet you. Day comes. I'm super excited. I got my best, best clothes on, uh, and I get a message. He's like, I, I just couldn't do it. And oh. so, you know, that feeling of abandonment and not being good enough, like, you know, those, those feelings come full circle again. Yeah. And I love that, you know, you have a family and you don't want your kids to experience that. And I think that having the ability to be the leader in the way that you are, not only in your business, but at home as well, you know, I, th I think you give your kids exactly what they're going to need, in, especially in today's day and age where like you have everything at your fingertips. So I, I really appreciate you sharing that story because yeah. it, it, it honestly like it's it can be very hard to grow mm -hmm. up in, in, you know, not, not only today's society, but the society that we grew up in as well. Yeah. But uh, no, I, I think you're doing amazing stuff here. That's nice. And I'm, me too. I'm thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Yeah. And being well, thanks for having me. Well. Um, so for our listeners here, where can they find you and bb.qchicken on social media? Um, we're on oh man, I should know my own. I should have asked you this That's before. Terrible that I don't even know. This is like where I <laughs> am old. I don't know. It's uh bb.q chicken mpls okay is that on all social media platforms um so i'm on instagram and i'm on facebook okay yep i'll say when, when we do our posts and everything here i'll make sure everyone gets it but nice. uh and i'm in the stores six to seven days a week so i i can like if anybody um has additional questions or needs many suggestions yeah i'm in the stores i'm here at uptown mostly on the weekends i'm at my st paul stores during the week but um, again, I take a very significant amount of, um, I guess we call it pride in being the face of my stores and being a, a leader that's like visible and, um, yeah, I'm not just someone who sits at a corporate office and tells and barks down things, but I'm here, <laughs> yeah. I'm here every single day, but I'm also here to, you know, continue to tell my story in whatever capacity that people want to hear. Yeah, so. absolutely. And then let's just say. I mean, I'm a first-timer, but I'll eat anything. But let's just say someone comes into the store. What would be, like, your suggestion of, sure. like, first-time entree? I think that the honey garlic is our um, kind of go-to first answer. It's kind of sweet and aromatic, and it's got just a great, like, crisp on the actual chicken itself. If you like spice, then the Gangnam Style has a black pepper sesame oil sauce with garlic and serranos. That gets my vote, but I, I like sweet drinks and spicy food yeah so that for me is uh the thing that after almost a year and a half of eating this chicken i still kind of crave and then finally we've got a signature rice bowl um which has chicken scrambled eggs kewpie mayo a super good sauce some sesame seeds it's a good amount of food but it's a nice way to try the chicken but it's in a, a more of a meal yeah so yeah those are the things that i recommend to people and pretty consistently get positive feedback that um People will come back again, and um, yeah. That's, I was that's say, yeah, you, so. you all hear, heard it here first. You got to come <laughs> check it out. Uh, tell them the locations again. Sure. We're at 1500 West Lake Street in Minneapolis, Uptown, and then 1328 Grand <laughs> Avenue in St. Paul. All right. You yeah. Go get it, people. Sounds good. Have a good day, everybody. Thank you.